And what happens after he heals them? The man picks up his mat, and the Jews get upset he's carrying his mat. Hey, it's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to carry a mat. And he goes, well, th this man told me to pick up my mat. So well, who's that man? And he tells him it was Jesus. Well, now they're mad at Jesus. How dare you do something on the Sabbath? So we pick up in our text, and I'm going to save you from standing up to honoring God's word. This is God's word, but it's one verse, so I will read it. In John chapter 5, verse 17, is where we're going to pick up this morning. It says, Jesus answered them when they upset that he healed this man on the Sabbath, was working on the Sabbath. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. If you have your Bibles open, backtrack with me just up to verses 15 and 16 to give yourself some context this morning. Back in John 5, 15, we see the man went away. This is the man that was healed. He told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And here in our text this morning, one verse, verse 17, Jesus says to them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Now, Lord willing, if we gather again next week, we're going to dig into exactly what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is equating himself with God, that I and the father are one. But he speaks and says, My father is working, because something the rabbis agreed with is that although there's a Sabbath day and God rested on the seventh day of creation, God never rested from upholding the universe. God is sovereign over all things. Could you imagine a day that God just lets everything go? That would be a tragic day. We'll talk about that in a moment. So the rabbis understood that, but then Jesus says, oh, and I am working, equating himself with God. Well, as I began studying this, we were actually planned to go through verse 24 this morning, and I got stuck in this one verse. So bear with me this morning, because as I read it, my father is working until now, and I am working. What's God doing? What is God working? What, what's this that he's doing? And I see this as that rib with all that meat on it. Like There's so much that God is doing that we as God's people can be in awe of God and how much God is working on our behalf. How much he's doing around the clock. You know, there's a common misunderstanding that God needs us. Listen again. God needs us. It's a common misunderstanding. He needs us to do his work. There are people who think that. That God needs us to do his work. But God is self-sufficient. He's not in need of anything. God doesn't come and make us slaves because he needs to enslave us to do his bidding and his work. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Quite the opposite is true. God is holy. God is perfect. He's lacking in nothing. He does not need anyone to work to make him more glorious. He stands alone. There's no one like him. He receives all the honor and glory because he is perfect. But God actually works on our behalf to bless us and to glorify his name. So it's not about us working for God. The reality is, God is working on our behalf. We read in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God provides it all. He gives to us. So this morning, you say one verse, great, I got plans after church. We're going to run through 10 different points this morning with this one verse. 
but I'll be quick. So turn, tune your ears to high so we can go quickly. But this is just me picking 10 things that God's working in. There's so much more. Don't think this is an exhaustive list that we're going through this morning. But as I sat there and I go, the Father is working and so is Christ. What are they doing on our behalf? And I just jotted down some points this morning. Point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, is to give you life. To give you life, not only life, but life to enjoy. To give you life to enjoy. I want you to think about that statement. To give you life to enjoy. We know in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it talks about he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And about Christ in Colossians 1.17, that he holds all things together. Anybody like space? Anybody like planets and everything else? Could you imagine if God decided not to hold the universe in order? Just our planet, just the orbiting of our planet. I had my daughter do some research for me. 67,000 miles per hour. Imagine if you just stopped that. Do you know what happens to us? 67,000 miles per hour, we go flying into space. But he holds it in order. What else if he just said, you know what? Let's stop the rotation of the earth. Just for a moment, we're going to stop that rotation. A thousand miles per hour. That's quick. Look, we're not allowed to drive fast here, but when I was a missionary in Germany, there was the Autobahn. Got up to 150 miles per hour. That was fast. I can't imagine a thousand miles per hour. But flying straight into space, God gives us life to enjoy. How about the spacing of the earth to the sun? What happens if God just took a day off, took a day of rest, and let's just let it drift a little bit? What happens if the earth drifted just slightly towards the sun? Y'all like Kentucky Fried Chicken? Because you'll be it. What happens if it drifts a little bit away from the sun? It's going to freeze. But he has it perfectly in a place where we can enjoy life. That he's given us all things to enjoy. And think about this, that when God creates a new heaven and a new earth for us, all the things that we enjoy, we get to have without sin corrupting them. It's amazing. This God who gives us life to enjoy, he also is working, point number two, to sanctify you. Church, you familiar with this word to sanctify? It means to make holy. That God works to make us holy. We read this verse, I believe it was last week, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 11, Paul writes, and such were some of you, I'll talk about who he's referring to. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He had just listed a bunch of works of unrighteousness. He talked about those who are sexually immoral, those who are idolaters, adulterers, thieves, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, and all workers of unrighteousness. He said, and such were some of you, some of us. That we were those people. But God worked and he did something called sanctified us. He cleansed us. He washed us from all of that sin, all of that pollution. And not only is it a one-time thing, it's an ongoing thing. That his spirit continues to work in us in an ongoing fashion, making us holy. That he would present us unto himself holy and blameless. Look at this verse with me, 1 John 3.9. We read that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And some of you go, oh dear. 
I've sinned. I guess I'm not born of God. That's not what John is writing here. John's talking about a practice of sinning, I mean habitual sin that you just continue to practice over and over again. He says, for the believer, the Spirit's working in you. And the Spirit's there to correct you, to chasten you, to remind you of the path of righteousness, to help you on the path of righteousness, to draw you to repentance. If you're a believer here this morning, you know the work of the Spirit. But he reminds you of, no, that wasn't right. That wasn't good. That wasn't loving. And gives us opportunity to go and ask for forgiveness, to be reconciled. But God's Spirit is working at all times in sanctifying us, in making us more holy. Third one this morning. God is working to help you in times of need. Now don't raise your hand, but how many of us are in a time of need? Many of us. There are times that we just cry out to God, God, help. Two words, God, help. We read in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says that we can draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God is there working, waiting, listening, answering prayer. Church, isn't it a good thing that we don't just like put our fingers together and chant to a wall and hope things will change? But we have a God who is living and acting and working on our behalf to respond and to help we have a God who is gracious and loving and merciful. When we read that Jesus says, my Father is working and I am working, it's active. And it's on our behalf that we have a God that we could run to at all times. That God is working on our behalf. Number four, how about this one? To give us victory over temptation. Life is full of temptation. We know that our Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And because he understands temptation, he can sympathize with us and our weaknesses when it comes to temptation. That we can go to him and ask for help. But not only that, but God is working to help us. Church, do you know there is no temptation that you have to say, I just have to sin because I can't get through this? You guys understand that? That God is working on our behalf. He's there to help us so we don't have to fall into sin. The sin that we were once in bondage to that he freed us from, He's still working to give us victory over those areas. That we don't have to fall into sin. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Which means we all get tempted. We're not convicted because we got tempted. Everybody's tempted. But it says God is faithful. God is working. He'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation... He'll also provide the way of escape. Read this last part with me. That you may be able to endure it. Church, that's so important to realize that God is working. Look, when we pray, sometimes we say, God, I'm in this situation right here. And God, I pray that you get me out of the situation and get me over here. But here's how God works. Here's the situation. God, help me to endure it. And God will help me through that difficulty that I don't have to fall into sin. But unfortunately, sometimes we pray, God, I just want to be removed from that. And over here, and we go, God, why aren't you working? He is. He's providing the way of escape so we can endure through that temptation. Different, various ways. We all have temptations. Certain, I call it like Baskin Robbins. We all have flavors. 
There's a flavor of temptation that's more appealing to you. And it could be people and a desire and a lust for people. And God provides the way of escape. It's amazing how he gives options. I'll give you an example. I was driving through the Coles parking lot. And as I'm going forward, the corner of my eye, I just see flesh. When I say flesh, someone is dressed in not a lot of clothes over there. And it's like, okay, don't look over there. There's nothing good over there. Just keep your eyes on the road and keep driving. Well, I got to turn right where this person's walking. As I turn, my car where the window is, the little part of the body going up, completely blocks this individual as I turn. And I drive right down. And at the point, I thought, that's exactly what God does. He does that all the time, that he provides a way of escape, that he provides it for us so we don't have to fall to temptation, that we don't have to sin. And God does that all the time. Most of the time, we don't even realize it. But he's always working to help us that we can endure through temptation. Number five this morning, God is working to comfort you in your afflictions. God is working to comfort you in your afflictions. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Think about a God who would be active at all times to see us when we are enduring affliction, who would come and comfort us. Church, the Bible speaks of a peace that surpasses all understanding. That our God is able to comfort us in a way that nothing else and nobody else can. That if you read the Psalms and you read like David crying out to God, Oh God, where are you? He's like, you're far from me. And by the time he finishes crying out to God, he goes, Oh God, you are good. God, you are near. God, you are faithful. What happened between the time he started crying out and the time he finished? God comforted him. And many of you know the same exact thing as you cry out to God, Oh God, I need your help. Oh God, I need comfort. Church, the reality is when we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not a gospel that frees us to a life that is perfect and peachy and, and that doesn't have any issues anymore. It is a gospel that saves us. It is a gospel that brings us forgiveness in Christ but there's still tragedy and sorrow in life. But we have a God who will comfort us. We have a God who's actively working to come and comfort us through all the difficulties, all the pains of life. The next one, number six. God is working to sustain you through difficulties. Seems like a theme here. Afflictions, difficulties. But God is working to sustain us, to help us to overcome the difficulties of life. Psalm 55, verse 22. We read, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Church, do you realize that God is actively working on your behalf? That he is there all times looking for your good and for His glory. That He's there to support you, to sustain you, to get you through every difficulty of life. And some of you talking with you and knowing you for the last year and a half, you've gone through some woes of life. And God is faithful to sustain you. 
to bring you through those. Those difficulties. Those things where everything looks black, there looks like there is no light. God sustains you and brings you through it. He is actively working on your behalf. We have a glorious, glorious God. So we talked about our afflictions. We talked about our, our, our difficulties. Let's move on to sufferings. God is also, number seven, God is working to use your sufferings for good. That just doesn't seem like it would make sense. Have you gone through some suffering? Have you gone through anything that you would think, how in the world would God use this for my good? How is it even remotely possible that this thing that has occurred to me that I see as this heinous offense, that God would use that for my good? Well, we have an amazing God that can work all things together for good. You know, apart from Him, tragedy is just tragedy. But in Christ, He'll use all things. We know this from Romans chapter 8, God's promises. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, look right here, church, to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Somebody say, Pastor, I don't get that last part. What does that mean? Here's what it means. That thing that's occurred in your life or things that have occurred that you say, there's no way God can use this for my good. This was pain. This was hurt. This was stuff I could never understand. God says He will use that to make you more like Jesus. And there's nothing greater that we need in our lives than to be conformed into the image of Christ to be more like Jesus. He will use whatever those things are to make us more like Christ. You say, well, isn't there a better way? Isn't there an easier way? Do you remember a perfect example in Christ when He pleaded with the Father, if there be any other way, please take this cup from me. But the Father knew in perfect wisdom of what is the right way. And He knows for each of our lives exactly what amount of suffering will come in our lives that He can use for our good and for His glory. Church, I'm not trying to belittle suffering. I'm not trying to say, suck it up and get over it. I'm saying we have a God who's working. And He's working on our behalf. He's working to work those things that were heinous offenses against us that God is able to use those things for our good and for His glory. Amen. Point number eight. God's working to enable you to produce good works. Church, before we came to Christ, before He drew us unto Himself, we were only concerned about three people. You guys know who I'm going to say, right? Those three people were me, myself, and I. That's it. Any works that appeared to be good still had a selfish motivation. It's what do I get out of it in the long run? God had to do a miraculous work in us to give us a new heart, to fill us with His Spirit. And he has to actively work to enable us to produce good works. First Peter tells us in chapter 4, verse 11, that if you serve in any capacity, you serve the Lord, you need to serve by the strength that God supplies. I'll tell you this, if you've ever served in any capacity in ministry, maybe in something you think, I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the strength to do that. You'll be amazed 
what God does through you. That God is working in us and through us. My number one fear growing up was public speaking. In God's providence, he made me a school teacher, which meant I had to get up in front of people all day long, and then a pastor. This is the last place I'd ever choose. I want to be the usher or the, the custodian or somebody else behind the scenes. But to get up in front of people, and some of you know the same thing. My daughter told me last night, she goes, Dad, I'm not feeling good. My voice is going out, and I don't think I'll be able to sing. I said, if God wants you to sing, he's going to give you a voice to sing. And he will. Those of you who know you've served in different capacities, you think, I-, I can't do this. God will enable you to do it. What God desires, he will do in us and through us because he's working at all times. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Stop there for a second. What does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Because some people put a period right there, and they end it like that's the whole verse. It's a comma, by the way, and it goes on to the next verse. It goes on to verse 13. But to work out your salvation means God has saved us, and he saved us for good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That he's created us for good works, that we're supposed to walk in them. But how does that happen? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Look again. Who's working? God. Who's giving you even the desire? God. He's giving you the will to do it. And he's giving you the ability to do it. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's working at all times. God's working in miraculous ways, getting us to serve, getting us to love one another, getting us to demonstrate his character. Number nine, God is working to intercede for you. God is working to intercede for you. Reading about Christ, we read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, he, being Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ is alive. Christ is not dead in a tomb. Christ is alive. But his sacrifice is ongoing. That it continues to intercede for us. Church, those of us who are saved in Christ, been forgiven in Christ, we rejoice in the gospel of Christ, but we still sin. Sin is never our aim. Sin is never our goal. But we still sin. But there is an ongoing intercessor. There's an ongoing work of God that He continues to intercede. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Here's the goal. Don't sin. However, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You guys know we have an, an accuser? You guys know who the one who wants to accuse? Satan. But we also have an intercessor who says, innocent. Hey, he's innocent. She's innocent. She's innocent. Well, what happens if we were guilty of sin? How are we innocent? 
because of our intercessor, because Christ died for those sins. Therefore, Paul writes in Romans, and put this all together, he says in chapter 8, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So as the accuser says, you sinner, we have an intercessor who says, innocent. Innocent. That we know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That he lives to make intercession constantly on our behalf. That as we have an enemy of our soul who is the one who wants to condemn and to accuse, we have Christ, our Savior, who stands there in constant acquittal, free, forgiven, not guilty. Number 10 this morning. Number 10, God is working to present you unto himself. For those of you who have been drawn in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. The Bible says, we'll look at it, you've been sealed with the Spirit of God. How often does the enemy of our soul want to tell you, are you sure you're really a Christian? Are you sure you're going to make it to heaven? Are you sure God's going to welcome you in? I mean, look at you after all. You just did that again. You knew better. And we have an accuser of our soul who sits there to try to deceive us and make us think, will I be accepted? Church, do you know you're accepted on the performance of Christ, not on your performance? It's based upon what he did, not what you did? It's based upon God the Father drawing you before the foundations of the earth that he selected you, chose you unto himself? That he's done all the work. That he who began a good work will finish it. That he's both the author and finisher of our faith. But we have a, an accuser that tells us, no, no, no. Are you sure you're going to make it? Are you sure you're there? Well, let me read a few verses and we'll talk about that in a second. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him being Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the what? What's that word? Give me one more time. Guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. So here is the defining moment. When you are struggling with, am I going to make it? Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Has God sealed you with His Spirit? Meaning, have you gone from death to life? Has God breathed life into your soul? doesn't mean that you're walking in perfection. Remember, that's our goal, that's our aim, that's what we're commanded to do. But because of this flesh, because of our sinful nature, we make bad choices sometimes. And we sin against our holy God. But He knew that. And he provides Christ to be a continual intercessor. But he also gives us our, his spirit. The question this morning is, with this verse, if you have the spirit of God, you have a guarantee. If the spirit of God resides within you, and you have the helper of God who's helping you on this journey, who's that one who comforts you, encourages you, corrects you, challenges you, empowers you, then you have a guarantee. 
You have a guarantee. We read in John chapter 10, Jesus speaking. In verses 27 through 30, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There's great hope in that. There's great hope in what he's speaking of is God's power to hold us fast. God's power to keep us. Church, here's the deal. I just received a book in the mail yesterday. And it was titled, The Myth of Eternal Security. Someone apparently heard maybe a message online and decided they want to send me a message on what they think. And they basically said it's based upon your performance. If you don't perform, he says, up to par, God will blot you out of his book. Well, my response to that is, if we could blow it enough not to make it, none of us are going to make it. How good and how righteous do you really think you are that you haven't blown it enough yet? It has to be the saving grace of God. It has to be the goodness of God. It has to be that God is working to uphold us. It's got to be that he's the one that will help us to endure. Because there are times we go, oh, God, why? Why is it still going on? How did I still do that? Oh, God, forgive me. Forgiven. Forgiven. Church, if we start seeing God and the grace of God, the goodness of God, that we have a God who works on our behalf, then we want to love this God. We want to serve this God. We want to rejoice in this God. We want to have rest in this God. But if we only see God as a tyrant, and we see God as a God who has a book of do's and don'ts, man, what a burden. That's what the Pharisees did. They weighed people down with a bunch of do's and don'ts. But instead, we have a God who's begun it, and we have a God who's going to finish it. He is faithful. He is our guarantee. Well, maybe you're here this morning, and you're thinking, you know what, I want to know this God who would love us so much that he would be actively involved in working in all areas of my life. Well, here's one more for you. Know this, that he's actively working and drawing you to himself. We know in John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God's even working on drawing people into salvation. He initiates the call. The call goes out, and there might be someone here today going, This God that you speak of, I want to know him. Well, guess what? It's because God has opened your heart to be able to respond to him. He's working in you. This God who would send his only son, to die in our place. An act of perfect love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. That if we would only repent, turn from our way and turn to Him and believe in Him, we could be forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future. And that we could be sealed with His Holy Spirit, given a new heart, given His Spirit, which would be the guarantee that we are His. That no more condemnation. That we're now free in Christ. If that's you this morning, I urge you, come to Christ. 
Turn to Him. Trust in Him. For the rest of us this morning, do you realize how much God is working on your behalf? That list was not exhaustive. That was ten things of just randomly going through. However, there's so much more that He's doing. To give us life to enjoy. To help sustain us. To help us overcome. To endure all of life. To work things together for good. We have an amazing God. Then what do we do about it? How do we respond to such a God as this? Church, might we thank Him? God, You are good. Thank You for Your faithfulness. That even when we are faithless, You are faithful. Thank You, God. Might we rejoice in Him? Might we praise Him? Church, might we rest in Him? That we have a God who's done it all. He continues to work on our behalf. And all that we're able to do that is good is because He's the one working it in us, using us for His glory. That maybe we once had a life that was destructive. Maybe we wasted years in doing stupid stuff. But now we have a God that will redeem the time and use us for His glory. Will use us for the good of others. That's our God. Church, let's pray together. Father, this morning is such a change of pace as far as the style of sermon. God, as I looked at this verse that you are working and Jesus would testify that he too is working. Father, we know that Jesus was speaking of you upholding the universe. That even the rabbis would agree that you were doing that. And that he was testifying that he is one with you. But Father, we slow down and we dissect this idea that you are working. And God, we are once again in awe of you. Father, may we be a people who are thankful people. People that rejoice. A people who rest in you. Father, for anyone here this morning, says, wow, a God who would love us, a God who would work around the clock on our behalf. This is the God I want to know. God, I pray you draw them today in repentance and faith, that today they would become a child of yours. Father, we rejoice together. Father, as we close now in a song, may we sing it unto you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.